Good evening and welcome. I want to thank you for personally taking time out of your schedule and time out of your day to spend a little time with us as we uh, have, a, have some Bible study and open God's Word. But before we get started, I'd like to open up in a word of prayer. Most gracious God, we just thank you first and foremost for who you are. We just thank you for your love and thank you for your grace. Dear God, thank you that we can open your Word and study it. Dear God, I just pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would guide us into learning more about who you are and draw us closer to you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I want to start by asking you a question. Are you a decision maker? Now most people, their initial response is going to be, no way, not me, I am not a decision maker. Because when we think of decision makers, we often think of people who are in leadership positions or uh, people who are in positions of authority um, or maybe positions of influence. And honestly, the thought of having to make a decision makes some of us cringe, maybe even ties our stomachs in knots or maybe even we may break out in hives. <laughs> Have you ever been in a group of people when someone says, where do y'all want to go to eat? It's, it's, it's a game of, not it. Most of us stray away from making decisions because we don't, we don't want to be responsible for how things turn out, especially if they don't turn out well. So most of us really don't consider ourselves decision makers. But as much as we don't want to be in that position, there is a decision that each of us must make that is unavoidable, and it actually has life and death consequences. You see, the most important decision that any of us will ever make is our response to the question, Who is Jesus? Several weeks ago, for our Bible study time, we had talked about the passage in Mark chapter 6 and verse 30. And this is when God had sent out His disciples, or Jesus had sent out His disciples, to, to heal people and, and to cast out demons. But He had also sent them out to proclaim His kingdom and ultimately to be world changers. And if you remember, that particular scene comes on the kind of the, the cusps of the, the feeding of the 5,000. And if you remember when we were talking about that, I talked about how God had just stopped me at verse 30. In the midst of reading through the feeding of the 5,000, God had just stopped me at verse 30. You see, Jesus had sent the disciples out to be world changers. And then after they returned, Jesus had called them His apostles. Well, I continued to spend some time in that passage. And I, can spend, and I looked at the, um, the other gospel accounts of the feeding of the 5,000. Because the feeding of the 5,000 is only one of two of the miracles that Jesus performed that is actually in all four gospels, and the other one being Jesus' resurrection. So as I went back and, and reread the feeding of the 5,000 from all of the uh, other accounts in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Lord really threw up another road-closed sign for me uh, as I was reading through it, because I was spending some time in Matthew's uh, account, in Matthew's narrative of, of the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew chapter 14. So that's really where we're going to be spending time this evening, is in Matthew chapter 14. So I encourage you to take out your scriptures and begin finding your way 
to Matthew chapter 14. I was reading Jesus feeding the 5,000, and that takes place in Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. And it's a powerful scene that takes place, and Jesus uses it as a time to, to teach His disciples a great lesson of His power and of His provisions. But when the scene begins to shift in verse 22, Jesus sends His disciples back out to the sea. They, they board a boat, and He sends them back across the sea to really back to where they came from before the feeding of the 5,000. And as Jesus sends the disciples out into the boat, He disperses the crowd and kind of sends them back home. And we, we could really spend uh, an entire time just looking at, at all of that transpired in that. But that's not really going to be our focal point this evening. But I do want to read all of that to kind of get us into context as we look at our focal passage. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 36. And this is what we read. And immediately he, that's Jesus, and immediately is right after feeding the 5,000. And immediately he made the disciples get into the boat, go ahead of him to the other side. And while he sent the multitudes away. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already many stadia away, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's Son. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent into all of the surrounding area and brought to him all who were sick. And they began to entreat him that, that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. As many as touched him were cured. Our focal passages this evening are verses 32 and 33. So I want to go back and reread those after we have now heard the entire narrative. Verses 32 and 33. And when they got back into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's Son. I've read those verses for more. I'm, before. I'm very familiar with the passage. And I'm familiar with what took place. But typically when reading that passage, you know, I'm reading it kind of in transition, if you will. You know, we've, we've read about the, the feeding of the 5,000. We know about Jesus sending the disciples out into the sea. We know about Jesus walking on water. And we know about Peter walking on the water. And then we, you know, then we kind of transition to when they get to the other side. And Jesus begins healing people again. 
But as I was reading this passage, verse 33 just jumped off of the page at me. So let's read verses 32 and 33 one more time. And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's Son. Did you see it? After they, that's Jesus and Peter, had got back into the boat, they, that is, those that were in the boat, the disciples, and very probably there were some other uh, seamen or mariners that were in the boat. It was probably their boat. But those that were in the boat worshipped Jesus. And they identified Him as God's Son or the Son of God, as most translations render it. Wait a minute. They worshipped Him? And they identified Him as the Son of God? I use the analogy in my Sunday school class quite frequently. It's like we're riding down the interstate, and all of a sudden we, we shift the transmission into granny gear. It's like we all of a sudden just come to almost to a screeching halt because we're cruising along just fine really kind of minding our own business if you will and then something like this jumps out at us and we're like whoa wait a minute what has just happened here and that's really kind of what's what's taking place here see due to our familiarity with the scene because it is a profound scene after all and really because of how this this verse these verses are usually taught we really kind of cruise on through these verses. But verse 32 and especially 33 are positioned here to kind of force us to pause dramatically. My campus minister when I was in college used to say, have a, a, a phrase that said, pause for effect. And if, if we were in the book of Psalms, there would be a selah here. It would be a, a pause for us to kind of think and reflect on uh, on what we really just read. So let me ask, or better yet, let's think, let, let's pause, let, let's take a look at this. You see, if you remember, the disciples had been with Jesus for over a year now. They had seen Him heal people. They had seen Him cast out demons. And in the verses that lead into these verses that we just read, He had fed over 5,000 people, and there were leftovers. So the disciples were certainly familiar with all that Jesus had done and the incredible miracles that He had performed. So what was it that compelled them to not only worship Him, but to, to declare Him to be the Son of God? Was it because He calmed the storm? I guess that's possible, but this was not the first time that He had calmed the storm. If we take a quick flashback to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 8, in verses 23 through 28, we find this. And when Jesus came into the official's house, whoops, that's Matthew chapter 9, sorry, Matthew chapter 8, um, verses 23 through 28, and when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there was a great storm in the sea, so that the boat was covered with waves. But Jesus was asleep. And they came to him and, and awoke him and saying, Save us, save us, Lord, we're going to perish here. And he said to them, Why are you timid, you men of little faith? Then he arose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. And the men marveled, saying, What kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? 
So here Jesus had calmed the storm, and they responded with amazement, saying, who, who is this, that even the winds obey Him? So while their worship of Him and their declaring Him to be the Son of God could be attributed to His power over the storm, it seems like they may have would have done that earlier if it was just Him calming the storm. Now granted, He was walking on the water this time, but there seems to be a little bit more here than just Jesus calming the storm. Well, let me ask this question. Had the disciples worshipped Jesus before? Well, it doesn't appear to be. If we look at Scripture, other people had worshipped Jesus. The leper had worshipped Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 8. Uh, Jairus, the centurion, had worshipped Jesus in Matthew chapter 9. In John chapter 4, Jesus had an entire conversation with a Samaritan woman about worship. But when it comes to the disciples, we don't really see that having taken place before. So this appears to be a new experience for them. Maybe it was a culmination of the events from the previous couple of days had just kind of reached its pinnacle point. That certainly is a possibility. But let's also look at their proclamation of Jesus being the Son of God. Now we're familiar with that phrase, especially if you've spent, spent time in church or Sunday school or, or even vacation Bible school or anything like that. You know, we're, we're familiar with that phrase and, and that identity of Jesus being the Son of God. However, in the New Testament, up to this point, that declaration had only been made on three occasions. You see, the first occasion was when John the Baptist had baptized Jesus. If you remember in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17, when the Spirit of God had descended on Jesus like a dove. Uh, and, it, and it tells us that God spoke and identified Jesus as my beloved Son. So God Himself had identified Jesus as His Son. Well, the second occasion was, was shortly thereafter in Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 3 and 6. Remember that Jesus had gone out into the wilderness um, and while he was out in the wilderness, he was tempted by Satan. If you remember, uh, Satan had taken him to, to the, the top of the temple. Um, and if you remember, there was another time where, where Jesus was hungry because he, had, he was fasting. Uh, Satan had, had commanded Jesus that if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. That's in Matthew 4, uh, verse 3. And then in verse 6, he says, if you are the Son of God... Throw yourself off of this temple and God will command His angels to come and rescue you. So Satan identified Jesus as the Son of God. And the third occasion was in Matthew chapter 8. Shortly after Jesus had calmed the storm, which we just read, when they reached the other side of the lake, Matthew 8.29 tells us there were two demon-possessed men that had approached Jesus. And the demons that were inside of these men had asked Jesus, What business does the Son of God have with them? So up to this point, only God the Father, Satan, and then a couple of demons had identified Jesus as the Son of God. So what compelled these common, ordinary men who were in a boat to identify Jesus as the Son of God? Was it the feeding of the 5,000? Well, maybe, but I don't think so. Because Mark chapter 6 and verse 52 says that they didn't fully understand what had taken place there. Well, was it the walking on the water? As we looked at a moment ago, maybe, but I don't necessarily think so. But if we look closely, 
at Matthew 14, verses 27 through 31, it may give us some, some clues and some indication as to this incredible declaration that, the, that these people in the boat made. So let's look at that. Matthew 14, 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he, came, he became afraid and began to sink. He cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, O ye of little faith, why do you cast doubt? After watching Jesus walking toward them on the water, Scripture says they were afraid. But Jesus said, take courage or, or be of good cheer or don't be afraid. But then he, he utters this phrase, it is I. Now in the Greek, this phrase is ego ami. And this phrase is used a lot in the Gospel of John, but it's usually used in connection with some identity of Jesus, like uh, I am the bread of life or, or I am the light of the world. So usually the I am is followed by a characteristic of who he is. However, right here it is not. Jesus just proclaims, it is I, or I am. And that phrase carries a lot of weight going all the way back to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 15 when God was talking to Moses. And he declared that I am. Because Moses was wanting to know when he goes to Pharaoh, who, who do I say sent him? And when I go to the children of Israel, who do I say sent me? And, and, and God told Moses, tell them the I am sent you. So what, what that is an incredible identification. And when we go to verse 29, the I am has just called Peter out of the boat onto the water and Peter is now walking on the water toward Jesus. Now that's pretty amazing. Now one thing to keep in mind though is that when all of this is taking place, they are in a major storm. The storm was so strong that the boat was not even able to move forward anymore. The, the, the wind was just pressing them, pressing them, pressing them. It was a strong headwind. And the boat was being battered. Basically nothing that the disciples could do or nothing that the people in the boat who were trying to, to row and to navigate, nothing that they could do could overcome the power of the storm. John 6 tells us that they were about three or four miles off from the land. Mark chapter 6 tells us it was about three o'clock in the morning. So it's dark, it's loud, and it's rough. And the disciples are literally at the mercy of the storm. Now we often think that when this scene takes place that it's kind of a conversation, kind of like you, know, you and I are having right now. Uh, a normal conversation with, with normal tones of voices. But that is not the case at all. It's loud. It's rambunctious. It's chaotic. It's wet. It's pretty quiet out here. And that's really the reason I'm doing this, this Bible study outside. Because there's a lot of noises that take place outside. I'm sure you've heard the, the birds that's been singing to us the, the whole time while we've been out here. And you've heard cars going up and down the road. Uh, it's a pretty calm evening, so there's not much wind out here. 
But that's not what the scene was like here. It was, it was, think of yourself in a 60 mile an hour gust wind, headwind, and you're trying to have a conversation with somebody while the wind is in your face and it's pouring down rain. You, you've seen those people on TV trying to do an interview in the middle of a hurricane. It's kind of like that. But be that as it may, while the storm gets the attention most of the time, I think the storm is really only a tool in the hands of a sovereign God. You see, when Jesus calls Peter out of the boat, Peter begins to walk on the water. And a transformation begins to take place in the lives of the, those that are on the boat, the disciples and, and the, the mariners. So we must remember that these disciples were average, everyday people just like you and I. They were not superheroes. They were not super religious. They were not super educated. They were not the life of the party or they were not the people that had the largest social circles. They really weren't even liked very much. But in spite of all of that, Jesus, through His power, through His sovereignty, and through His divinity, He took an average person, Peter, and used him to rise above the raging storm, rise above the battering waves, and to do something that not even the boat was able to do, and that is to move on top of the water. You see, they saw the transformation that could take place in the, through the power of Jesus. And like the boat, we are weathered. We are battered. We have cracks. We take on water. And I guess the best way to capture it is, we are broken people. I'm sitting out here on my deck, and you'll notice that I've got some, some new pieces of wood up here. Uh, my, my deck began to rot, uh, some wood began to fail, and it's a reminder that our lives are temporary. The, the things around us are temporary. They, they break down. You know, we're still in the midst of this pandemic, and as hard as we try to find a cure for it, we're still going to die one day. No matter if we survive the pandemic or no matter whether the pandemic actually takes our life, we are going to die one day. And when Peter stepped out of the boat, he began to rise above the storm. I.e., he began to walk on the water toward Jesus. No longer was he in the security of what he knew, the boat. He now was in total dependency on Christ and Christ alone. Now, as he began to realize that, he began to notice the wind and the waves that were pounding at him. It was still loud. It was still chaotic out there. And that's when he began to sink. But see, don't miss this. When Peter began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Think about that. Peter was crying out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Scripture says, Jesus grabbed him and saved him and told him, do not doubt. Have faith in me. Notice, he does, Jesus doesn't tell Peter that Peter doesn't have any faith. He says his faith is small right now. You see, we have room for growth. 
You see, these two verses, I think, holds the keys to us understanding the question of why they worshipped and their declaration of Jesus being the Son of God. You see, I don't think it's a coincidence that just a couple pages later in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked His disciples, He He was asking them who everybody else says that He is. And then Peter steps up because Jesus asked them the question, who do you say that I am? And then Peter steps up and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, I don't think it's a coincidence that that happens shortly after this passage here. So let me ask this question. Who is Jesus? My title of this lesson is just that. Who is Jesus? You see, we are all broken people. We're not superheroes. We're not infallible. We have flaws. We have our our cracks and we have our crevices and, and we have our our highs and we have our lows. But we are all broken people. And we enter the world as broken people. Nothing we can do can fix that problem for us. And that problem and that issue, that brokenness, is called sin. And sin is what what separates us from God. But you see, when Christ came, He came as the perfect, spotless Son of God. He came to earth. He gave up His throne in heaven. He came to earth as a baby. Lived a life just like you and I are living. He was exposed to all the things that you and I are exposed to. He was exposed to the same things the disciples were exposed to. When when, when He was walking on the water, did He get wet? Absolutely. Did the wind blow His hair? Absolutely. Did He have to raise His voice to talk to Peter? Absolutely. But He did not sin. He came to earth to pay the sacrifice of sin. And He did that by giving His life on the cross. He died on the cross to take my sin and to take your sin. And through His death on the cross, and through Him conquering death, and showing His power three days later rising from the grave, we can have a personal relationship with Him that will fix our brokenness. Oh, we're still going to have problems here on earth. We're still going to face storms. But the storms will not destroy us. We may lose our life, but with a relationship with Christ, we have an eternal home in glory with God the Father forever. But you see, we have to admit that we are a sinner. We have to admit that our sin separates us from God and that we are in need of a Savior. Nothing that we can do can take away our sins, no matter how good you are. You know, if you you think of yourself, I'm a pretty good person compared to what? Maybe you are a good person compared to so-and-so. But you see, they're not the measuring stick. The measuring stick is Christ, the perfect Son of God. So I ask you, who is Jesus to you? Have you confessed Him as Lord and Savior? 
If you have, praise God, what a celebration. But maybe you have confessed Him as Lord and Savior, but you've not been living the life that He has commanded you to live. If that's the case, I, I, I urge you, repent of your sin, turn away from your sin and turn back to God. But if you've never confessed Him as Lord and Savior, don't delay. Let today be the day that you call on the name of Jesus, the Son of God, to be your Savior. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it means recognizing that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And it means turning away from those sins, confessing them to Jesus and saying, Lord, I put my faith and trust in You. I believe that You are the Son of God, came, died on the cross for my sin, and rose again three days later. And a transformation begins to take place in your life as part of that. One of my favorite quotes from A.W. Tozer, uh, the, the theologian from a time ago, is this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So once again, I want to ask you the question, Who is Jesus to you? Is He Lord and Savior? Is He just somebody that you've heard about? Or is He the name you call on when you smash your finger? I urge you, I beg you, call on Him as Lord and Savior. We are all broken. We are all going to die. And there will be a point in time where we will stand face to face with Him. And we will answer that question, who is Jesus? Please answer that question today and ask Him to be your Lord and Savior before it's too late. Let's close in prayer. Most gracious God, I just thank You for this day. I thank You for allowing us to be outside this evening as the birds are singing and echoing Your praises of Your creation. Dear God, I thank You for who You are. Dear God, I thank You that we can see in the life of the transformation You made in Peter's life how You used a common man to overcome a storm. God, people watch us. May we point them to You. God, I pray if there's anyone that is listening to this message that doesn't have a relationship with You, I pray that today is the day that they come into that relationship. If someone watching this has a relationship with You but has strayed away, I pray that today is the day that they come back to You. Dear God, we just thank You for who You are. Thank You for Jesus Christ. And thank You for paying the penalty of our sin on the cross with Your very life. Dear God, we love You and we just thank You for, for all of who You are. Thank You for Your grace and thank You for Your love. For us in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank You for joining us. God bless and have a wonderful day.